a series right now called Disillusioned, where we're talking about doubt. And today we're going to look in Mark chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to spend our entire time there in Mark chapter 9, looking at a story, and we're going to focus on, on the part that's about doubt today. And, and, and I want to talk to you about a doubting faith. A doubting faith today is what we're going to look at. Um, about a week before Thanksgiving in 2018, my oldest son, who is a professional wrestler, flew to Los Angeles for a show that he was doing. Uh, this was, uh, he was still on the independent scene back then, traveling all over the country, but was, uh, he, um, he was at a, a show out there that was on a, a pay-per-view on Fight TV, and it was in a, in a very packed arena, and the cameras they had, they weren't able to get to a part where they were doing something out in the crowd, and we couldn't really see it. My wife and I were home watching on TV, and he's in L.A., we're in Mississippi, and something went wrong. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know. Uh, all we knew is something was wrong. The way they stopped the match, the way everybody was acting, the way people ran over there to him, and then we started seeing stuff on Twitter, which freaked us out because on Twitter they... People say things that aren't always true. And uh, <laughs> if y'all haven't figured that out yet, stay off Twitter. Um, if, if you want to believe everything you read, don't read it on Twitter. But it's, um, but I mean, they had us believing he had done broke his neck. He was almost dead, all kind of stuff. Turned out we finally got a hold of the promoter out there, and he was able to talk to us and even hand the phone to my son. And But in doing that, they, they told us he had broken his leg really bad. They were taking him to the hospital. I tried to talk to him, and all he wanted was, he's like, Dad, I'm just hurting right now. I don't feel like talking. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm hurting right now too, just in a different way. And... Um, but it, it scared us, and we're stuck in Mississippi. He's in L.A. He was supposed to be flying home uh, on Sunday, and, and um, of course, he's stuck there. They take him to the hospital, find out he's supposed to have surgery. They said they were going to do surgery on Saturday. Well, it got postponed to Sunday, and I'm stuck here. And at that point, we were going through kind of a rough spell, and I didn't have the money. There was no way I could have flown to L.A. I did not have the money to get out there. My wife and I both wanted to go, but even one of us couldn't afford to go, and so... I, I did. I, I began to pray, but I also began to really worry and began to think up, what can I do? What, what are some things I could do to get to L.A.? I thought about driving, but that's a long drive, and, and I didn't really have the money for that either, and you know, I wouldn't have got there until, you know, who knows when, and this was the, week, the weekend before Thanksgiving, and he's out there by himself, and I'm thinking, how's he even going to get home? If I don't go get him, what's he going to do to get home? Fortunately, they didn't put a cast on his leg once they did the surgery, so he was able to fly, but it was a rough flight. Uh, and, but what happened is I, I, I was scheduled on Sunday to still do the exhortation at the end of the song set, and I came in that morning, and I went ahead and did, and I shared about my son, but I talked about how I'm still here worshiping, even though my heart is in L.A., and my son is in L.A., and I want to be there with him, I'm here worshiping because God is worthy, no matter what situation we're in. But that morning, I sat out in my car, just bawling my eyes out and saying, God, why is this happening? And God, is there any way I can get to L.A.? And I didn't see a way. And I'm going, God, this is impossible. I don't have the money to go. I don't have any way to get the money. The ways that I'm thinking of getting the money are not the right ways to get the money. And it's gonna, I'm going to end up in trouble. And I was, I was losing my mind, I thought. But I went ahead. I came in. I worshiped. And I said, God, if there's any way you can get me there, please let me go. And that, after church that day, I'm standing out here in the, the parking lot, and one of the couple, a, a very wonderful couple from our church came up to me and said, Dwindle, we want you to go to L.A. 
We'll give you our credit card. You can buy a one-way ticket there, and then whenever it's time for you to come home, buy a one-way ticket back. We want you to be able to go. And so uh, I just started bawling. And Sunday afternoon, I flew. I mean, I went home, went to lunch, and, and while I was sitting at lunch, ordered a ticket on the phone. And I flew to L.A. that afternoon, got there that evening, and, and uh, that night he had already had his surgery, but he was out of it on medicine and, and that they give you in the hospital. And if you, my son's strange enough without medicine, so it was a funny experience. But we... Uh, we flew back home on Wednesday night. We left the airport. I mean, on Wednesday night, we, we got out on Wednesday afternoon. They finally released him, and we drove in an Uber from the airport, I mean, from the hospital straight to the airport. The Uber driver got some not-so-good sayings from my son every time he slammed on a brake. Uh, but we got to the airport, and we were rushing. We were. It was almost time for them to, to shut the door on the plane, and they... The people there were so good, they put him in a wheelchair and ran him through the airport and got him there just in time. And we were able to get home the night before Thanksgiving, uh, late at night. But, you know, I, during that time, I'll tell you, I was desperate. I didn't know what to do. And it wasn't just that, that one couple paid for me a flight out there and back. And there was a couple of other people that came up and handed me a little bit of money to say, while you're there, we want to make sure that, you know, you don't have any other worries. So here's you some money for food or here's you money for Uber and that kind of stuff. And I was, God just blessed way beyond what I expected. But I was desperate. I don't know if you've ever been there. But I mean, I was, I was thinking up everything I could possibly think. And I was willing to do anything I could do to get out there and be with my son. And be able to bring him back. Of course, he was saying, Dad, you don't need to come. I'll be fine. Well, how is he going to get back on an airplane and with his leg sticking straight out? And every time he barely moves it, he screams. So I got to go, and God blessed. You know, in, in our story today that we're going to look at, though, there was a father going through something similar. A lot worse than I was going through, to be honest. But he was desperate. Um. In Mark chapter 9, we see in the beginning of it that Jesus and, and three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, had, had gone with him up on a mountain, and they got to see the transfiguration of Jesus, which was an amazing event. And he told them, don't tell anybody else about this until I'm gone. They said, okay. But they come back down the mountain, and, and they go to meet the other disciples. And when they get into town, there's some kind of commotion, and people are sitting there arguing over stuff. And, and Jesus walks up, and he says, what's everybody arguing about? And this man spoke up and said, Jesus, I came here looking for you because I have a son who has a, 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 who, who's demon-possessed. And I need him to be healed. And I asked, you weren't here, so I asked your disciples to heal him, and they weren't able to. So Jesus said, well, bring me the boy. And we pick up the story here in Mark chapter 9, verse 20. After Jesus told him to bring the boy to him, it says this. So they brought him... When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Notice here that these demons knew who Jesus was. As soon as they saw him, they began to attack the boy. They began to, to, to jerk him around and make him convulse and make, and, and, and make him foam at the mouth. And they didn't like being in the presence of Jesus because there's some power there. And they, they recognized who this son of God was. But... It goes on to say in verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. 
But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. This man standing there in front of Jesus and he said, Jesus, if you can do anything, he said, this, this, this boy's been like this for years and the demons keep on trying to kill him and they're hurting him and, and his heart was breaking and he was desperate. He was so desperate for help, he came and asked, he, he, he came and sought out a faith healer. I mean, in their day, we, we know who Jesus is. We know the stories. We accept, those of us that are Christians accept that he is the son of God, that he is God incarnate. We understand that. But in their day, they just knew he was Jesus. They didn't know who he really was yet. But they had heard the stories. They knew he had done some healing. They knew he had walked on some water. They knew that he was able to do some miraculous things. And so they, th- this man came looking for help because he was desperate and he would take any help he could get. He even said to the disciples, if, if Jesus isn't here, will you do it? And the disciples tried and they couldn't. In Matthew chapter 17, the same story is told. And, and after it's over, after Jesus did the healing, the disciples asked Jesus, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus said, if you had even the faith the, the, the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move over there and it'll go. And what he was saying is it only takes a little bit of faith. You have to really believe, but it just takes a little. And you can do miraculous things. In this story, the man stood before Jesus and he's like, Jesus, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, please have pity on us and help us. See, I want you to understand something that, first of all, that doubt can be fueled by desperation. When you get desperate, you start looking for any answer you can, but there's always that doubt in there because you don't know that you're really thinking clearly. And this man was coming to Jesus. He had heard the story, but he was still filled with a little doubt and saying, Jesus, if you can do anything, if you can help us. Because there was a little bit of doubt mixed in there, and that desperation, that doubt... Doubt can be fueled by the desperation we're feeling. Have you ever been desperate? Have you ever been in a situation where you were, maybe you, you were just really, really hungry or thirsty and you just had to have something? And maybe, maybe you're on a diet and you're, and, but you're really, really hungry. And so you just go ahead and eat that Snickers bar. There's nobody in the room that would do that. But we, you, you go ahead because it's so good and it's right there and it's convenient. Or maybe, you know, maybe there's, you know, you've got a salad sitting there in the refrigerator, but, oh, that Snicker bar, you don't have to do anything to. That Snicker bar, boy, it's still, it, it was made in 1985, and it's still the same. It hadn't gone bad yet. No, that's not true, because if it was in 1985, it was bigger. and cost a lot less. <laughs> but those things don't go bad. But have you ever been desperate? You really had to have something. You really needed something. Man, when that starts to happen, you're in a lot of pain, and you're willing to take anything to help that pain, whatever it is. But that, same, that desperation can drive us to search for answers, to try to get some help, to try to find some hope. But it can also allow us to have that doubt in our mind, is anything really going to happen? I, I was brought up in a, in a godly family. My parents lived Jesus in front of me my entire life. I, I never, I mean, they weren't perfect by any means, but they loved Jesus. They, they both regularly studied their Bible. They prayed. They taught us the Bible. They, had, they read the Bible with us. They prayed with us. They, they taught us things. They went to church 
Every time the door was open, they, my mom was a soul winner. She, she could not go through a, a checkout line at a store without asking the, the person behind there, do you know Jesus? She didn't want anybody going to hell. She was just, she, she, she would share with anybody that would talk to her. And I grew up with that, and I watched God answer prayers over and over and over again and meet needs when we thought there was no way. And, and then as I grew up and I, I got older, I watched him answer my prayers. And I watched even, you know, I've, I've been married for, for 30 years, if you don't count some stupidity there in, in between. But we, I, in that time, I've watched God answer prayers over and over and over again. And yet, I'll face some kind of tough situation, and I'll start to doubt. And I'll say, God, how can you do it this time? I don't see any way out. Well, the truth is I've never seen the way out or the way I've seen as a way out. He doesn't do it that way. I'll look at a situation and go, you know, God, if you would just send me a genie, this would be done. He doesn't do that. I don't know what's up with him. But, or I think, you know what? My car broke down. Help me win the lottery. I don't need that car anymore. He he doesn't do it that way. And those of you that hadn't been here very long, our pastor jinxed us like three years ago anyway with preaching on gambling and said none of us are going to win the lottery, so, you know, so don't try. But I look at it and I see hopelessness, even though I know who Jesus is. Even though I see what he's done. And this man was standing there before Jesus and he was so desperate, but yet he had a little bit of doubt and said, Jesus, if you can. And when he said that, I mean, he wanted any kind of help he could get. When he said that, look at Jesus' response in verse 23. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. If you, now, I've never thought of Jesus as cocky, but I kind of picture Jesus here as a lot of people I know who think they're good at something. You know, maybe a, a really good athlete that's about to go into a, to a game and they, they know they got this or they know they're the best out there. They think they're the best out there, whatever. But Jesus looks at this man and goes, if you can, you know who you're talking to? Now, I don't think Jesus had a cocky attitude, but he did ask the question, if you can, everything's possible if you believe. If you can, this man was standing before the king of kings. He was standing before the, 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 the son of God. He was standing before God incarnate, the only person in this world at that point who could have without a doubt answered his prayer, without a doubt cured his son. He could have done it. He's standing there and Jesus looks at him and says, if you can, you're saying if to me. See, here's the deal. Doubt can be felt even when the answer is right in front of you. This man was standing before the answer and he still had doubt. Back when my son broke his leg and I was wanting to go to L.A., I stood up here with tears in my eyes, and I had doubt, and I thought there's no way I'm getting... I honestly, I told three different people that morning at church at least that there's no way I can go. I just don't see a way to go. But I really want to. And I didn't even fathom that there was people in this church who loved me enough to sacrifice for me to be able to go and meet a need that I had. I was standing before the answer, and I didn't know it. And this man is standing before the answer, and he's still got some doubt. And then look what happened. When Jesus said, if you can, everything's possible if you believe, here's the man's response. In verse 24, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe 
Help me overcome my unbelief. Immediately, as soon as Jesus said that to him, he said, I do believe, Jesus. Help me because I don't believe completely. Jesus, I do believe, but help me to to win over the part of me that's unbelieving right now. I've heard the stories. I know who you are. I came to you because I believe you can do this, but there's still a little bit of doubt. Help me wipe out that doubt. What a powerful thing for this man to do. See, the truth is that doubt can be found in the middle of belief. Doubt can be found even in the middle of belief. This man, when he's standing there before Jesus and he's making this declaration and he's able to say face to face to Jesus, Jesus, I do believe, but help my unbelief. I find comfort in that because he understands what I've been through. And he's got the guts to stand before Jesus himself and say, Jesus, I doubt a little bit. I believe, but also doubt. And I think that struggle is real. I think that's a struggle that most Christians go through, on, at least from time to time. And it's not always easy to confess that. It's not always easy to admit to someone that I've got doubts because we're supposed to, in the Christian world, we're supposed to have it all together, right? We're supposed to just accept what the Bible says and and believe it on faith and not question it at all because God said so and that's the way it is. But yet, we have doubts. I mean, it's kind of like when you, you're, you're, if you're raised in church and you're taught from the time you're a baby about the truth of God's word and about who Jesus is and about the power of God and you see it and you've watched it live out in your parents' life and then all of a sudden you go away to college. And in my case, as a sophomore in college, I, I moved over to Arkansas and, and, and switched schools and I'm standing there and I go into a, a large room where a professor stands in front of me and starts out his class the first day of the semester and says... Evolution is a fact, not a theory, and if you don't believe it, you're a fool. God does not exist, and if you believe he does, you're a fool. And if you believe these things and think you will pass this class, you're an even bigger fool. And I was slapped in the face going, how am I going to do this? And I take a philosophy class, and I take, a, I take different sciences, and I take different uh, uh, debate classes and all these things and and I get in there and I'm challenged with things that I've always believed but never questioned and now they're giving me things that I'm like whoa that actually makes a little sense and you have to decide is it okay for me to question so that I can find the truth And what I found out is when I was able to go to God and question those things that I had always accepted, I found out that he was right. (laughs) My parents were right. The Bible is right. And it was okay for me to question him so that I could be even more firm in my faith. This man... He, he, he probably had already sought out other healers. He probably had already sought out other doctors and, and different people to try to help his son. You know, when you go through something, you, you face it over and over again, you start to think that's the norm. I, 
Some people in this church know that I've had a lot of issues with cars. I don't know what it is. We always have car problems here. A few weeks ago, I bought a, a, a truck, uh, hoping that that means I'm going to be through with the ones I was having anyway. But now my wife's van started acting up this week. And I went and did what I thought I was supposed to do, and it didn't fix it. So I, got, I did something else, and that didn't fix it. And then yesterday, my brother and my, my niece's husband helped me, and we did some extra stuff to it, and we thought, that fixed it. My wife drove it home and called me saying, hey, it's doing a lot better. Everything's great. And then as soon as she pulled into the driveway, the check engine light came on. And then my son drove it last night and calls me 10 minutes down the road and said, Dad, it's doing it again. It's really bad. So it's not fixed. And my first instinct is to say, here we go again. Here we go again. Because when you experience things over and over again, your first instinct is just to accept that's the way things are. My son and my wife and I were talking about this a couple of days ago because of the issue with the car. But we, we do that. We go, and we've been going along pretty smooth for a while, to be honest. God's been blessing us, and we've been having some good things happen. And all of a sudden, over the last two or three weeks, we've had these little hiccups, little things happening that were unexpected. And then all of a sudden, the car, and it's like, here we go again. And when you get in that mode of here we go again, and, and you're so used to seeing it over and over You, you, you get to that point where you start to doubt if you're going to get through it this time, even though you've gotten through it every time before. And that's where this man was. And then look in verse 25. It says, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. This man had just declared to Jesus, I've got doubt. I believe, but help my unbelief. And what did Jesus do? Jesus healed his son. Right there. There's three things I want you to see today, some, some, some simple truths about your struggle with doubt. If you're one of those people that struggle with doubt, maybe, maybe none of you struggle with doubt. Maybe I'm, I'm alone today. I don't know. But I have a suspicion that other Christians struggle with doubt at times. And I want you to see some, some simple truths about your struggle with doubt if you have it. Number one, Jesus can handle and will accept your doubt. See, it's so awesome to know that we have a God that loves us unconditionally. Even when I don't want to love myself, even when I don't understand my own thinking, he still embraces me and loves me. See, it's important to realize in this story that when this man confessed to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief, Jesus didn't rebuke him. Jesus didn't put him down. Jesus didn't say, no, depart from me. You don't believe. You, you go away, and I'll take care of your son when you get enough belief. When you get enough faith, you come back, and I'll take care of you. That's not what he did. The man looked at him and said, if you can, and Jesus said, if you can. And the man said, I do believe, Jesus, but help my unbelief. And Jesus said, heal that boy. In the midst of his unbelief, in the midst of his doubt, in the midst of his questions, Jesus did what the man needed most. Because Jesus can handle and he will accept your struggles. He will accept your doubt. He understands who you are. He made you. He created you. He wants you to be honest with him. Here's, here's the thing you need to understand, folks. And I don't know why we forget this. 
Sometimes we don't want to admit to Jesus our questions. We don't want to admit our doubt. We don't want to admit our fears or our struggles. But here's the thing. He already knows what you're thinking. The only question is, will you be the person he needs you to be to be open and honest about it? See, there's just something about that. It's the same thing. I don't know about you guys in marriage. I've done some stupid things. My wife has has messed up once or twice and, and made a couple little mistakes. But when we talk about things and we admit our struggles, when we admit our failures, when we admit that there's some things that we don't understand and we talk about that, it brings healing. It brings clarity. It brings understanding. It's the same thing with Jesus. Jesus already knows. What's, there's been times I've done something stupid and didn't tell my wife right away, and then finally I tell her, and she's like, I know. How do you know? Don't worry about it. I know. Yeah, you women bug me sometimes. My wife, my mom had that same ability. I'd get home from somewhere, and she already knew where I'd been. Of course, this was also a town of 3,000 people back then. And everybody knew her. But... Talking about it, sharing it, opening up and being honest about it makes a difference. And Jesus already knows. And Jesus will accept you even in your questioning. The second thing I want you to see is that you don't have to be ashamed of your doubt. In the Christian life, in, 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 in Christianese, in, in the church, a lot of times we're embarrassed when we have questions. We're embarrassed when we struggle. We're embarrassed when there are things going on that we don't understand. But here's the thing about your doubt. When you're in the middle of that doubt, when you're in the middle of that confusion, when you're in the middle of that unbelief, that's the place that Jesus can step in, that God can step into your life. When you admit it and and you allow him to step in, he will step in in the middle of that doubt and water that little mustard seed of faith and grow it into something huge and amazing. He's able to step into your life and do things that you never imagined right in the middle of what seems like one of the biggest struggles of your life when you let him in. You need to understand this, folks. It's, we, we get the idea sometimes in church that, that, that eventually we're going to have it all together. Eventually we're going to understand everything we're supposed to understand. Eventually we're not going to struggle anymore. And people walk around going, I just struggle. I can't help it. Well, of course you do. You're human. There's not a Christian in this world. There's not a person in this world that doesn't struggle, that doesn't have the, the enemy attacking Satan doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want you to be close to God. He doesn't want you to get through this struggle. He wants to confuse you and confound you. Satan's been using the same techniques, the same tricks since the beginning of time, even before the fall, when he was convincing those other angels to join him in trying to overtake the kingdom, he still was using the same tricks that he's using right now on you. You're not alone in this. And you don't have to be ashamed of your doubt. You simply need to embrace it and allow it to foster what's coming next. 
Because through your doubt, you can learn, you can grow, you can, you can understand what it is that Jesus is doing. This man comes to Jesus in the midst of his doubt, says, I don't believe, I do believe Jesus, but I also don't believe. I do believe Jesus, help my unbelief. I believe in you, Jesus. I came here because I believe in you, but yet I've questioned whether or not you're really going to do this. And in the midst of that, Jesus said, this boy's healed. The Bible talks about a double-minded man, and some people tend to think that that double-minded man is someone who questions God. That's not what it's talking about. It's not someone that questions God. It's not someone who who has doubt. It's not someone who wonders how it's going to happen. A double-minded man is someone who claims to believe in God but only gives lip service, and he never even goes to God for help because he didn't think God's going to do it in the first place. It's okay to go to God and say, God, I know you can do this, but I'm not sure you can do this. Because he understands where you're coming from. Don't pretend you're something that you're not just to look good to others. We like to do that in our life. We like to come in and say, well, well I've got it all together. Man. You know, maybe, maybe your marriage is falling apart and you're on the verge of divorce and yet when you come to church, it's like, hey, everybody, how you doing, man? We're doing great. I hope y'all are doing well. And everything's just perfect. And you want everybody to think you've got the perfect life with the perfect home. And, and everybody knows that's nothing but total nonsense, to put it nicely. Everybody knows that everybody struggles, but everybody likes to think that they're the only ones struggling. But you don't have to be ashamed. The third thing I want you to see is this. Being honest about your doubt allows others to overcome their doubts. See, the truth is when you open up about it, it helps others. I sometimes have been accused of being too open. Sometimes I share things that people wish I wouldn't share. Um, But I can tell you this. In the times where I've publicly shared my failures or I've publicly shared my fears or my frustrations, or my doubt, or my unbelief, or whatever it may be. Whenever I've, I've shared about my struggles, I've never done it without having at least one person, and usually multiple, come to me and say, thank you for sharing that, because I know I'm not alone. I've had people reach out to me and say, I don't know you other than what I've seen you do on stage. I don't know you other than I know that you used to be a missionary, you used to be a pastor, and then I hear you talk about these struggles, and it helps me because I didn't think a man like you would have those struggles. Those people don't know me very well because they would know I'm, I'm a mess. But when I'm open and honest about the mess, it can help someone else. And I know when someone else is open and honest about their mess, it helps me. Because when someone else admits that they're struggling in this area and I'm already struggling in this area and I go, I'm not alone. Somebody else understands. Somebody else can comprehend my fears. And that in and of itself helps. And then I can take the next step 
to find a resolution, to find the true answer, to find peace that surpasses all understanding that comes through our Jesus. In church, sometimes we make it hard on others, or some churches do. I don't think that's a fault of this one, to be honest. But some churches make it hard on others who think, who, who are struggling, or who have doubts, because we want to make them believe you, you got to have it all together. You don't. And when we're open and honest about our doubts and our confusion and our questions, others feel like they can do the same thing. The Christian community is important for those dealing with doubts because we're here to help bring healing. The one big message I want you to get today is very simple. I want you to understand today beyond anything else that God shows compassion to those with struggles and doubts. And we as a church have an opportunity to show that same compassion as we represent Christ in our community. God's not going to reject someone because of doubt. The church should never condemn someone because of doubt. Yeah, we should help. And if you've got doubt, there's something there to work through. If you have no doubt, we may have some bigger issues. (laughs) Because nobody has it all together.